Welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. This is Ale, and I'm joined by Benji, Jack, and Daniele Curcio from Referee Abroad. Welcome to My Life on the Line. I always talk about Hey Daniel, how you doing, mate? Not bad, thanks. What about yourself? Yeah, not too bad for another night recording podcast. Very good. Happy to be here with you, Daniel. Same. Looking forward to having a chat and talking all things football, refereeing, and referee abroad. Tell us a bit about yourself and your refereeing background. When did you start refereeing? How did you get into it? Right. So I started being a referee when I was very young, around 17, maybe 16, I don't remember exactly. And I was a referee here in Italy, just at the local level refereeing mostly youth football, some adult football, but not that, not that much. To be honest, I must say my referee career never took off. I refereed for about uh, seven years, and then I decided to give up and just dedicate myself to coaching and mentoring and stuff like that, mainly abroad, because in Italy, this sort of stuff is not that developed yet, or at least is not that developed outside of the official channels. The referee abroad thing started, uh, at the beginning, it was more like a game, really, and then it took off. There was a neighbor of mine here in Brescia, northern Italy, that went to play in some tournaments abroad. Uh, it was Denmark, I remember. There is a big tournament in Denmark called the Dana Cup, which I'm sure many people are familiar with. And he went there as a player and he was very happy about the experience. He told me everything about it. And of course I was a referee, I was not a player, but it kind of uh, caught my interest. So I emailed the tournament. The tournament got back, back to me and I said, oh yeah, sure, it would be great to have you next year and stuff like that. So really it all started because of uh, listening stories from other people. And I went there, it was 2005. So I'd been a referee since 2002 and 2005, I went to my first international tournament, which was the Dana Cup in, in Denmark. I also went the same year to the Norway Cup in Oslo, so in Norway, and another small tournament which no longer exists. That was called the, the St. Andrews Festival in, in Scotland. So the summer of 2005 was my first experience abroad. I did three tournaments there and that's where everything started because I got to know referees from all around the world. I got to know about other tournaments. The next year I went to more tournaments. I, I made new friends and so on. And that's when also when I met my, my friend Matthew, who runs tournaments abroad with me. I'm, I'm the president of Referee Abroad and he's the um, managing director. Matt is from England. He was a referee in England. He started going to these tournaments on his own and we met there in Spain and we quickly realized that there was not, I mean, there were a lot of tournaments out there, a lot of referees, but the possibility of going to these tournaments was not that well known. There was not somebody that would facilitate it. It was more left to each person to find out how to do it and then organize everything. So we thought it would be a good idea to start uh, working on this. And, and that's where Referee Abroad, at the time, name was Tournaments Abroad, now it's Referee Abroad. How everything started, first with small groups, mainly our friends, you know, our friends of friends and stuff like that. And then it took off and, and it is what, what it is now. So Tournaments Abroad and Referee Abroad, same thing, separate thing? Yeah, it's it's exactly the same thing. Uh, the original name was Tournaments Abroad. Yeah. And then we changed it to Referee Abroad last year. 
Ah, okay. Uh, the change was because it's more clear that we deal with referees. You know, we got a lot of uh, inquiries from teams, players that were contacting us, and they're not really what we do. So yeah. we we wanted to have a name that not really was clear, clear cut that this was about referees, for referees, and nothing else. Can't really get referee abroad wrong, can you? No. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like ref coach. That's what the name says. <laughs> <laughs> Correct, exactly right. Don't get me wrong, we still get inquiries from people that are not referees, but uh, less than before. So. Plus, I like the name. It's it's simple, it's clear, you know, it's uh, I like it very much. Fantastic. So you started doing these tournaments around Europe. And I can only imagine the feeling it would have been a very addictive feeling once you got started. You had a great time at each tournament and wanted to keep it going. What were your yeah. memories of some of these tournaments and maybe some moments which made you just think, wow, this is fantastic. I have to keep going. I have to keep doing these tournaments. Just to refer to the tournaments I did on my own before before a referee abroad even started. I mean, uh, Denmark and Norway are two very big tournaments. You know, you get referees from 30 countries, teams from about 60 countries. You can just imagine it's a big uh, festival of football, of refereeing, you know. You know, the Dana Cup in Denmark, for example, we don't work with them a- anymore, but they're still out there. And I know many people that go there, we're friends for life, you know. I mean, before I started referee abroad, I decided, I went in 2005, as I said, and then I kept I kept going for another six years because it was just so exciting, as you said, that it had become part of my summer. You know, when you start the year in January, my year was pretty much open. There was school, there was uni, there was work. You didn't know where the year was going, but you knew that there was going to be a tournament in the summer. You know, that was exciting. Then, as you said, we started in Europe, but then through tournaments, through people, we got to know about referees from other countries as well. I met in 2006 uh, a dear friend of mine from Florida who then invited me to go to a tournament in Florida and I went there as a referee, as I said, and then we kept going back groups. So, yeah, it's it's just a big family, really. So that's how you got into it. What was the first tournament that Referee Abroad did? Our first partners were a German company that is called uh, Commit that organizes quite a lot of uh, tournaments around, around Europe. They do tournaments in Spain, in Croatia, Italy, Germany, France and other countries. We've worked with them for about five or six years. Now, we don't work with them anymore because while at the beginning it was all about letting referees know that there were, there were opportunities out there and facilitating them visiting these tournaments, now we've switched to a different uh, system. Now we, we care more about referee development. It's not about going on holiday to Barcelona. and I mean, there is still the fun part in tournaments, but the main uh, reason for referees to come should be development, really. The combat tournaments, while very enjoyable, were not really the right uh, tournaments for referee development. So we decided to switch to other tournaments now. But yeah, the first tournaments we work with were those organized by this German company. That actually leads on to a question that I'd wanted to ask. Like, How do you differentiate between the two? When you have referees, some will come because they want to develop and they want to get to that elite level and you know they want to get the final for whatever tournament or age group or whatever yeah. it is. And then you get some who do just come for the holiday and they don't really care what they referee. How do you balance the two? Is it something you do have to balance or maybe not anymore, maybe you used to? Well, I mean, yes, there is always, you know, when you have a tournament with 100, 120 referees, there's a lot of different reasons why referees come to these tournaments. Right now, what we do is differentiate the tournament from, from the very start. So 
If you go on our website, refereeabroad.com, you'll see that the tournaments are divided into three main categories. There are the so-called development tournaments, the elite tournaments, and then the normal tournaments that we call them holiday tournaments, right? So if you're a referee that uh, is more interesting into doing, a, I don't know, a week in Spain and doing a couple of games and then just uh, have fun with your mates and stuff, then you'll probably choose what, what is called in a holiday tournament because there is less focus on the development and, and so on. If you're a, a young referee that is more interested instead in, in developing yourself, uh, knowing about refereeing in other countries, refereeing teams from all around the world, then you'll choose a development tournament. And then we have elite tournaments that are very small tournaments that we only open to those referees that have excelled at previous tournaments because we can't just send anybody. And then, of course, we have the academy that is the fourth tier of our network, like Paris, for example. We have a very big tournament in Paris, which is called the Paris War Games, which is probably our biggest partner right now, together with the Iber Cup. The Paris War Games have around 120 referees and 40 observers and staff. So we're talking about a group of almost 200 people. Not all of them will be there for development. Not all of them will be, will be there for a holiday, but we try to filter before the tournament. So we we speak with the referees who apply and we make sure that that is the right tournament for them. We have a constant contact with the applicants, you know, it's not all done by computer. We like to, to create a sort of personal link with the referees as much as possible so that they, we can trust them. They can trust us. You know, we know them before we even go out there. I very much believe in this, in this approach, you know, while referee abroad has got bigger and bigger, so it's more difficult maybe to have, to know everybody. Uh, we try to do this as much as possible. That was going to be a question that I had to ask. One of the biggest challenges you'd have with these tournaments um, is the players going to these tournaments are going with their team, with everyone who they know, and you've got to try and sort out the officials for these tournaments, and you've probably mm -hmm. never met the majority of them, their names on a screen, a name on Facebook, and you can't see them in person. It's a similar theme. We were talking to John Westbrooks from Pro, how he doesn't see a lot of his referees in person and has to build everything remotely how have you gone about doing that and how do you do that in, in the lead up to all the tournaments that's definitely uh, one of the biggest challenges you know because because as you said uh, with the exception of referees that have come before and we know them already most of them are new every year so they're just names on paper as you said we're fortunate now because referee board has been going for uh, a number of years so we have created uh, pretty strong links with a lot of uh, federations the English FA especially, but also others. So for most of the big countries, we, we are in contact with their referee bosses or either at national level or local level. So we kind, we are able to get some sort of feedback on the referees. Keep in mind that in order to apply for a tournament, you must have permission from your federation. So even if we don't know you, we don't know your federation, you will have to send us a letter or something from your federation with contact details so we can always get in contact with them. It's very important for us to stress that Referee Abroad does not replace things that the federation already does. It's just one more instrument for them to continue development off-season. So most federations are very happy to support us and part of, of the way they support us is by providing us feedback. In those cases where it is, it's not possible to have uh, a, an idea of the person, we still try to get a general idea by getting the level of referees at and what kind of games he does, 
the academy always asks for videos to be sent before even considering the application. Then the last step is when you come to a tournament, a tournament is usually six days long. So we only appoint the first two days before and so when you come to Portugal, for example, you will only have the appointments for day one and two, and those will be based on the information we have about you. So your level, years of experience, uh, age, um, and so on. The games on the first two days are almost all of them are assessed because uh, we have uh, we have developed a pretty strong uh, uh, observers committee as well over the years. So most of the game, if if not 100%, 90% of the games are observed. So it's it's good, uh, good coverage. And then the appointments for days three, four, five, and six, and the finals are only based on the marks you get from the observers. Let's talk in English terms. We get all kinds of referees coming from level threes to level sevens. Most of them are young, of course. So say five, sixes, and sevens will be my majority but we still get a couple of fours threes even two b's sometimes let's just make a comparison that it, i realize this is very difficult to it's very difficult to happen but it may happen let's say you you come to a tournament as a level three and then there is a young level seven coming now the level three will be a much better referee of course but you come to the tournament and you're there for holiday you don't care you referee not very well and you get marks that reflect your poor performance the level seven instead is very keen. He wants to show that he's got something, he's got the ability to succeed, and he does a great games. And the marks reflect that. When it comes to final appointments, if the level seven has better marks than the level three, I have no problems giving the final to a level seven rather than a level three. You see? So this is how important uh, the observing, assessing, and mentoring is at tournaments. And that is something that personally and together with other people i've put a lot of effort into the past few years to develop even more we have a lot of observers some of them of the greatest levels highest levels and i think this is an, another very important thing for referees to know because they come there and they will have feedback from these people so. while we're on the topic do you want to tell us a little bit more about the observers you get uh, you touched on that you've got some from you know the real high levels and i checked out your website and saw some of the ones you do you know it's some of the best in the world do you want to tell us a little bit more about that yeah yeah sure so as i said observers are just as important as referees so especially at the our development tournaments which are the ones focused on on the up-and-coming referees, uh, we try to invite uh, a number of observers that ranges between 15 and 30 at, the, at each tournament. Observers, just like the referees, come from all over the world. And most of them are English because, uh, you know, we're very well known in England, so a lot of English observers come. But we get also from Germany, France, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, sometimes from the USA. We had a couple from Australia as well in our tournament in China last year. And as I said, uh, I put a lot of effort into developing the observers, the observers department. So we do have a, a person in charge of the observers department. His name is John Darcy, is, a, is an observer from uh, Kent uh, in England. Um, and then we try to invite as many observers from UEFA or the, or the highest league that we, that we can, because we believe they can uh, offer a lot to the referees. So. Just to make a few names, every year we get uh, a couple of guys from UEFA, such as uh, Josef Marko from Slovakia. Josef, uh, the name might not tell you much because he's an older gentleman. He's uh, 75, I believe now. But he was for uh, 23 years a member of the UEFA Referee Committee, longest serving member to date. 
He was at one point the vice chairman of the Wave Referee Committee. He was a guy that mentored our web and Colina, among others. He was the guy that at um, Euro 2000 was told, okay, you go to observe two quarterfinals. One is observed by Colina and the other one is observed by Anders Frisk from Sweden and you decide who's going to do the final. So, you know, when you, you can't get a much higher than that. Joseph is now retired from UEFA because of his age, but he's still very passionate about refereeing and every year he accepts our invitation to Paris, Portugal, Spain, wherever he may be. And he comes at 75 to help to help the young referees develop. So that's that's one of the great names we have. We have another guy from Serbia. His name is Travko Jokic. Same thing. He was for 10, 15 years a wave observer. He was the chairman of the Serbian referees. He was a fifth referee himself years ago. Now he's retired and he does the same thing as Josef does. So he, he comes to tournaments to, to help us out. We had a very big name in uh, Michel Votro. Michel Votro was probably one of the five best referees who ever walked on this planet. Best French referee ever. He refereed a number of finals that I don't even remember. He, let me think, Euro 1988 final. He did the World Cup 1990 semi-final. He was the only European referee to ever referee the final of the AFC Cup. He did uh, the Champions League final, Europa League final, five Champions League semi-finals and so on. So a really great referee, an icon of refereeing. He's also an older gentleman now, but he, he actually wrote me an email just yesterday to see, to ask how things were, were going in Italy and uh, yeah, saying that he would like to come back to Paris next year. So that's, that's great. And there's a lot, of, a lot of them, you know, Premier League referees that come every year with the permission of PGMO, of, of course. We've had other people from, from the top European leagues. A lot of observers, a lot of experience. And, and I believe this is very important for the young referees to come through. I told you some names of great observers that have come in the past, but I must stress that we have observers of all levels. So we, we are always looking for observers. So any observers is welcome to our tournaments. We have the big names, but we, all, we think the observers from the local leagues are just as important because they know mm -hmm. the young referees, they know how to work with them. So every year we try to increase the numbers of observers, no matter what their level is, what their league is, you know, we're, we're always happy to have them. That was going to be one of my questions. How do you think your referees feel about dealing with such personalities? Because obviously if you're a 15, 16 year old and say you come into the tournament, maybe one of your first times abroad. So there's the excitement and all of a sudden there is this guy that has refereed X amount of finals internationally. Personally, I would shit myself. Pardon, <laughs> friend. It's it's but... actually quite. It's a. I I will tell you a, a funny story because uh, um, we're, you we're know all these guys. Stories. <laughs> okay, these guys are some of the greatest, as you said. But they're very humble. It's not that they go to the pitch, they meet this young referee and say, "Hey, I'm the guy who did the World Cup semi-final." Now they don't do that. They unless somebody tells the referee, the referee doesn't actually know. And we've had a couple of uh, situations where, for example, I remember in Portugal in 2015, we had um, some referees from Italy, and uh, Josef Marco went to watch one of them, 18 year old. He did a really good, uh, really really good performance. They gave him a really good mark, and then he went into the changing room and said, "Oh, you know, I just uh, messaged Colina to say I saw a very young, a very good young referee," and the guy was. Why the heck you message Colina? Because oh yeah, because no, he was the chairman. Or was when I was the vice chairman of UEFA. It was like what? <laughs> <laughs> or there was another situation where Michel Botro was uh, doing a debrief. Uh, so we have games, 
games are one after the other, right? So they, there's a lot of games in tournaments and uh, referees often do two or three games maybe in a, in a day. There was uh, this game where a referee had just finished the game and he had uh, some sort of a time off before the next game. And uh, Michel Vautreau, this guy the, the, from France, was the observer. So he said to him, come on these stands so I can watch the next referee Why I give you a, a, deb- a debrief. They were having their chat very calm, very, very funny at some point. And uh, there was a guy in front of them that was a parent of a kid. And uh, the parent knew who Vautreau was, the referee didn't. And this parent turned around and looked at him and says in French, excuse me, sir, can I, can I ask you something? And he says, yes, yes, go on. And he said, are you by any chance Michel Vautreau, the guy who did the, his big games and stuff? And the referee was like, what the, who the fuck I'm talking with? And, and Michel laughed and said, uh, oh, it was an amazing answer. I, I loved it. He didn't say yes or no. He said, that's what people are going to write on my tomb. He replied, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and the referee was like, am I really talking to this guy? To come back to what you said, Alessandro, uh, it's not a big deal because these guys are really humble. They don't put you, they really put you at ease when you meet them. You can have a chat with them. You can go have a drink with them afterwards. You know, it's, it's uh, all a big family. When I said goodbye to Michel the first time I met him, he said to me that I could consider him as my French grandfather. And that's what it is. He's, he's just a, an older gentleman who's so kind with everybody, always happy to, to chat with anybody, you know. You might, you might shit yourself, as you said, but there's no reason for that. <laughs> no, that's great. Because yeah. one, thing, one thing that has been coming out of the podcast and of the other chats that we had with, uh, with other guests is that there is a massive human side to refereeing. Everyone is really well aware of emotions, of state of minds, of making sure everyone feels it is. And it's great to see because one of the first things we said when we started this podcast is that we wanted to bring out the human side of refereeing because the public do not see that. People watching games don't realize how much is involved when you're a referee, don't realize the emotions, the ecstasy of uh, getting a good game or or the pain you feel when you actually screw up. Because I I remember I had games where I screwed up and man, I got on the wine those nights. (laughs) I just had to find a way to cope with it. And that's great to hear this because it's clear that we are humans. We love what we do. We love football. But at the same time, hearing these experiences of this world-class observers that just don't care about the the resume just just care about helping I, others. I will make you I will make you one more example that that confirms what what you're saying I'm pretty sure you know Viktor Kasai now he's retired he's the head of refereeing in Russia but he's been one of the most important referees uh, in Europe in the past 10 years or so not many people know that Viktor is also the chairman of the local referee department uh, in his hometown in Hungary it's a tiny town outside of Budapest and he still kind of runs that that branch and every year he sends me an email saying uh, hey Daniel there's three young 18 year old Hungarian referees that I think would be great referees for your tournament can I send them to your tournaments and that, that shows you as you said the human side of things because Victor is one of the greatest referees ever and and still is in Russia is full time there but he still gets interested into what his young guys are doing and and wants to reward them in some way by sending them to tournaments if they do well and and so on so 
me and Victor have had a, a friendship and, and work relationship that has lasted, well, it's still lasting, but uh, we've worked together for the past five years or so. And every year I know I can count on him to send me young Hungarian referees because I know he really cares about that. So that just confirms what you said. I mean, you have this guy who who's done the Champions League final, was on TV and everything, but he's still the referee that he was 20 years ago when he started. You know, he, he remembers where he's coming from. He didn't forget that. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it sounds like that all of these people you're talking about really embody that exact thing. They remember where they've come from. They're not all pie in the sky. And that's 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 great so the observers obviously teach the referees a lot on the pitch um, and we all know what that you know there's lots of technical things you can learn their positioning fitness whatever that may be what sort of skills or experiences do the referees learn off the pitch because obviously there's you spend six days at these tournaments but it's probably six days fully with referees so what are the key takeaways in terms of that, do you think? First of all, languages, of course. I mean, if people are not of a, from an English-speaking country, they will get to practice their English and stuff. So that's that's probably the easiest uh, answer to give to your question. But I think there is much more to that because uh, even from a social point of view, the fact that you find yourself uh, in a group of people from 30 different countries, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of culture, religion, ways of life, you need to, to deal with them, work with them, make friends with them as well. So it really opens your mind. There is a photo I use a lot, which actually features one of your Victorian referees, uh, Daniel Woodyet. It's from Paris last year. I use it a lot in presentations I do on, on our website because I think it embodies the real meaning of what Referee, referee Abroad is all about, which is the world meeting on, on football pitch. There is this picture. It's, it's just a before the game, you know, the captains of the two teams and, and the referee crew. So it's it's a very basic, uh, easy picture to take, right? But there's people from five different continents in that picture. And that's that's amazing. I mean, there's Daniel from Australia, of course. The fourth official was from France, so European. The referee and AR2 are from Japan. Still a very different uh, culture. So the referee team by itself represents three different continents, which which is amazing, I believe. And then you have the two captains. One team was, was from Brazil, so South America, and the other one was from Syria. I don't think many people can say they've refereed a team from Syria. That's amazing. So when, when was this? It was Recently. in Paris last year. Paris last wow, year. and there's a team from Syria. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the good thing about the Paris World, what I really like about the Paris World Games, Iber Cup is great, the level of football is great, professional teams and stuff. What makes the Paris World Games great instead is the variety of countries. They get teams from countries that other tournaments don't get because they have agreements with embassies, governments that send these teams. So, for example, last year, the semifinal of the under-19s, so pretty good level, was Syria versus Iraq. Imagine a referee, 19-year-old, 20-year-old, refereeing Syria versus Iraq. Very so. different challenges to what they would face in their home country, presuming, you know, the referee would be European or American exactly. or maybe Australia. Exactly. We had uh, South Africa, we had Madagascar, uh, Brazil, wow. Chile, you know, right. countries countries that I would have never dreamed to to even meet on a football mm. pitch. And, and we do, you know. And so that picture, as I said, was great because Australia, France, Japan, Syria, Brazil, you know, all on a football pitch, all because of the Paris World Games, all because of refereeing abroad. So it's just just incredible to me. I believe it really, it really sends the message. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating to hear... I mean, the variety of teams, but also referees. How many, do you know the answer to this? How many nationalities of referees have come to referee abroad <coughs> tournaments? 
Well, I would probably have to to look it up because I don't know the exact number, but I know it's around 60. Europe, pretty much all of it, I think we're missing maybe one or two wafer countries, not more than that. North America, we've had uh, we've had uh, USA and Canada, of course, and we've had Costa Rica as well. South America, we've had Brazil, Argentina, and Venezuela. Africa, we've had uh, Algeria, and Morocco, we've had Uganda and Namibia. Wow. You think of the experience a referee in Namibia or Uganda would have compared to a referee who's, you know, coming through the ranks or learning to referee in the UK or, you know, a big European nation, the experience would be so different. It must be incredible hearing this story. It is. Not just the football, because the football would be different, but also culturally it's going to be a challenge, you know. I'm thinking about the guys from Japan. I'm not sure if you've ever been to Japan, but, you know, Japan is a country where... Uh, they're all very well behaved, you know, they have some standards to follow. And now imagine this referee from Japan who found himself on a pitch refereeing Syria and Brazil. I think I've said everything, you know, yeah. I've said everything, you know. <laughs> you know, I remember the, for example, the Syrian guys didn't have shin pads, okay? Because they said, uh, listen, we've come here, it's, it's a miracle that we are here, we, we, we didn't bring them. You know, it's, mm. uh, you know, it's a, it's a war-torn country. And in France, there is a rule that says that um, they're not obligatory, actually, uh, that says that if, if the coach of the team signs off a, a waiver taking a responsibility, then the players can play without shin pads. You know, it's, it's a French rule and we abide by it, even if I don't agree with it. Imagine the, the Japanese referees didn't want the Syrian players to play because of that. Yeah, of you know? course. He, he didn't even he didn't even understand the the possibility. In the end, I let them play because I knew the rule from France. And then then you had this the game. You had the game where the Brazilians were very much tiki taka kind of playing, uh, diving all the time. Probably <laughs> diving in something that in Japan they don't even understand because people are very correct and stuff, you know. And then you had the Syrians that were playing really physical, you know. It was a really good game. I mean, the Japanese referee kind of struggled at the beginning. It's normal because because he was not used to it, but then he did a good game in the end. So, you know, when you come to a tournament, it's not just about the football. It's it's about a lot of other things. It's about the social aspect, meeting new referees, possibly making new friends, understanding, meeting, learning, and understanding about new cultures. You know, it's a package that comes together, really. In the past few years, we've had uh, the number of Australian referees coming has been increasing. Maybe thanks to the tournament in China as well, because it's kind of easy, easy to go there, you know, and, and I think it's been a great opportunity for them because of your uh, geographical isolation. You don't see a lot of different cultures. As, well, I mean, people that live there, yes, but you don't have the opportunity to travel as much as, as we do here in Europe. You know, we jump on a Ryanair flight here. It's, it's a 10 pounds flight. We get to the other side of, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't course, work yeah. that way. It doesn't work that way in Australia, you know? And I, and I think that for the, for the young referees that have been coming, we've had a couple from Victoria, of course, a couple from New South Wales, and then a couple from Queensland. I think it's been a great opportunity for them to see and meet referees from all over the world and stuff. So China, we've had a good experience with them. Many of them were appointed to finals as well. Some of them made it all the way to Europe. It was it was great. And likewise for, for other countries, you know, the same. It's the same, really. When Benji applied to come to the academy, maybe you were the only Australian that ever, ever wrote to us come to a tournament. Now we get maybe 15, 20 different ones every year. So I think it's a great opportunity for them as well. Hashtag trendsetter. <laughs> <laughs> well, little, 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 little detail is that you didn't make it because you were oh, too bad. 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 <laughs> That's not but but he, he, he set the trend. He was the influencer that started it. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. Influencer. Go, go, go follow Benji on Instagram, guys, if you're looking for some laughs and uh, inspiration for referees. To continue 
continue the conversation, follow <laughs> at Sir Ben <laughs> on Instagram. Find out more about Referee Abroad on their website, refereeabroad.com, or look them up on Facebook to discover all the amazing opportunities you have to experience refereeing worldwide. Within the laws of the game, the same game of football or soccer is played all over the world, and often we say that teams don't speak a language, they speak football, and the teams come to the tournaments and play it. But with referees, there's another whole level of communication and knowledge and skills required. What have you noticed in terms of similarities and differences in the different countries and the different styles of refereeing they bring? And is there a way to try and bring it together? Can you bring it together? Does it end up lost in translation? There is no correct or wrong way of refereeing. Of course, when people come to tournaments, you'll see many different styles of refereeing and they're all equally equally good in my opinion the challenge is to be flexible that's what referees need to learn the english style is very particular we know about that the german one is as well all of them are fine when you come to a tournament but you need to be able to read the game in front of you see what kind of football as you said the, the teams play and adapt yourself and and this is actually a very big part of the reason why the English FA and the different county FAs in England keep sending the referees because they learn a lot about communication about body language about gestures about adapting to the game in a way that maybe is not possible in English football because because they all play the same way I mentioned before the the Japanese referee the Japanese referee when he refereed Brazil and Syria did a good job why did he do it because when he realized that his style, while a good style, wasn't working, he immediately adapted his refereeing to what he, what he saw in front of his eyes. And that's the, the challenge, because when you're an 18-year-old referee, you've been a referee for maybe three or four years, you've never refereed outside of your own country. You know one way of doing things, which is fine in your own country, but it's not necessarily fine in, in a tournament where you meet Madagascar or Syria or Iraq or Portugal or Spain, you know, and that's the challenge really for the young referee and for us, because because when we go to observe them, it's the same thing. Imagine a German observer. The challenge for the German observer must be to understand what kind of refereeing is seeing in front of him and and judge it for what it is. You can't mark the Australian referee, for example, based on German standards. You know, this is a great learning opportunity for everybody for the referees, for the players, and, and for the observers as well. So yeah, in short, there is not a, a way of doing things as long as you know how to how to react to the changes that you see in front of you. So You talk about the observers marking the referees, and obviously yeah. you just touched on the observers come from all over the world and all different environments. How do you ensure that they're on the same level when marking the referees? Because we know that you, you can have the same league and the assessors might watch the game and all give a completely different range of marks. How do you manage that? It is it is a challenge because um, each country has its own marking system, especially with the English system, which is it's pretty clear, to be honest, but it's very much different from all the other ones we have in Europe. Most of the observers we have are from Europe, right? We get a couple from other countries, but most of the observers are from Europe. Most of the European observers base their marks on the wafer marking system. And that's what we applied initially. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the wafer marking system, but it goes from 7.5 to 8.5, more or less, where a good mark is 8.3, 8.4, and, and so on. But when we quickly realized that it was a bit too complicated uh, for some observers, especially English observers, so now we are using a very simple uh, marking form where uh, observers only have to mark whether in different aspects the referee is 
standard expected, above standard, below standard, well below standard, well above standard. So it's easier for every observer from every country understands the system, right? And then we, we still have um, an observers committee for each tournament, which uh, double checks the marks and confirms them or changes them. And at the same time, they have the ultimate saying on tournaments for the finals. So let's say you're a referee that uh, got a, a good mark from one of the observers. You'll be watched by one of the guys on the committee before a decision is taken. Of course, uh, we will never be able to find a system that works for every single observer in the world, but we're getting close to it. And I think with the resources you have at these tournaments, you're really able to do that. You know, you can a referee will get watched so many times within such a short space of time, which is fantastic. Mm. You know, in Australia, it, it or in Victoria, not at a semi-professional level, but at your you know amateur levels, referees can go a whole season without being assessed. And in juniors too, it's the same thing. You know, you every referee on their first game gets a mentor, but after that, a referee might not be watched for a long, long time, long time. No, exactly. Well, while in the tournament, uh, typically a referee would get around three observations, maybe four, but it depends on how it does. If you do badly, you'll get less, of course, because you're kind of cut out. But yeah, three observations in the space of seven days is not bad. And that's one of the advantages of, of doing this, you know. And even referee bosses from England, they write to me saying, oh, you know, this guy that had been at the Iber Cup with you is now a level two, level three, whatever. And from some county affairs have sent me uh, figures where 80 to 85% of, of the referees they, they have sent to Portugal or Spain have then achieved promotion the next season. So while this is not all down to tournaments, I, I would be very arrogant saying that and I, I don't believe it. I believe the tournaments played a small part in making this possible. I think it's it's the lessons they learn from it that they then take and apply to their own game. They might pick up a couple of things at a tournament and then they go away, they try it for themselves and that is what gets them up there. But also the attitude, you know, it sounds like the guys who succeed at these tournaments, are the guys, you've got to have the right attitude, the right mindset. You've got to be open to learning, listening and, and trying new things. So I, I definitely think it, attitude, maybe you're underselling yourself. I mean, attitude is very important. We've had referees in the, in the past that have come believing that they were better of the games that they had in front of them. And then they made a carnage. One message that I really care about, and I feel it's very pertinent in these times, Referee Abroad is a network of referees and friends. It is about refereeing and referee development, but not limited to that. It is a way for referees and people to learn about countries and cultures. You live and breathe refereeing together with colleagues from all over the world. It is about mutual respect, community and equality. It is about rejecting racism, bigotry and discrimination in all their forms. This is what refereeing is all about and I really believe in this. So if you join us, you can expect not just great referee, not just great tournaments, not just a great experience, but a real friendly environment, what has become for me and for many others, a second family. Tell us a bit about the Referee Abroad Referee Academy. So about five years ago, we started this new project uh, to improve even more referee development that, that we carry out at tournaments. Referee Abroad has a motto that is uh, explore your refereeing world. And we added to this motto another motto, which is making referees more complete. And the academy is, is the answer to this. What it is, uh, the academy is a development project that takes place in the summer 
at one tournament. It used to be France, now it's Spain, where 16 young referees from all around the world are selected to take place to this tournament and are coached, mentored by UEFA, FIFA, Premier League officials throughout the week. They also do online activities before and after the tournament, and they are part of a mentoring program after the tournament as well. In order to apply for the Referee Academy, you can apply online or through your federation. And then there is a, a pretty tough selection process where about the 16 people are selected from. Keep in mind, we have every year we get 200, 250 applicants and only 16 are selected. So it's when you got selected, Benji did pretty well. Yeah, it was such a shame that I couldn't make it. <laughs> we started this at the Paris World Games, which is the tournament I mentioned before. And now the academy moved to Spain and it takes place every year in July in the Donosti Cup in San Sebastian in Spain, which is the home seat of the Real Sociedad in the Premier League. Terrible part uh, of the world. <laughs> Horrible. I definitely wouldn't want to go there. <laughs> Get my it's, it's, a, it's actually a pretty cool place. I mean, I'd, 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 I'd go there all year if I could. But yeah, yeah, we, we, we've received support from a lot of uh, qualified officials from all around the world, UEFA, FIFA, Premier League, that are happy to help us out and help the young referees selected for this program. Now, the program is run by Niklas Erdmann, who is um, a German guy that, that has been working with the referee board for a number of years. He's the academy director. And then we have a couple of coaches that uh, rotate and come every year or every two years. Uh, one of them is David Coote, Premier League referee. Then we've had Leif Lindbergh. Another big name is Leif Lindbergh. Leif is, um, is the only person in the history of refereeing to have done both the Euro and the World Cup final. So there is only one person in history and he's an assistant referee. So Leif is from Sweden. He's now one of the three guys in charge of refereeing in Greece. He's a WIFA core referee coach. And of course, he did the, these two finals, which, which uh, really describe his career. He was, uh, he was the assistant referee to Anders Frisk in the Euro 2000 final between Italy and France. And he was the assistant to Pierluigi Collina in the 2002 World Cup final. So a lot of experience, and uh, he's one of the guys that helps us out every year. This year, we were supposed to get a couple of uh, wafer coaches from Portugal and other countries as well. But of course, we had to postpone this year's edition. Uh, something interesting from for your side of the world is that this year, out of the 16 referees selected, two were from Australia. Two. The only country to have two referees on the academy. So that's pretty Pretty significant, yeah, I say. Th that's because I started coaching. <laughs> <laughs> one was from Victoria, Daniel Daniel Woodyet, and the other one was uh, he applied as an assistant referee, but Avert is a good referee as well. Matthew Staples from New South Wales. Fantastic. So, so how do they get involved? Because obviously most of the tournaments, except the China one, are in Europe, right? So it's a long yeah, way. Yeah. So the um, they applied. So I believe they had a possibility to travel. They got in into two different ways. Matthew did the application process just online. Uh, you heard about the academy applied where you have to send uh, a letter from your federation that supports your, your candidacy. You need to send videos of yourself refereeing, take a lot of the game test and other stuff. Daniel was pre-selected because he attended tournaments with us in the summer. He came to uh, Paris, Sweden, and also to China. And he did a, he did a good job at these three tournaments. So every year we select a couple of guys that have done well and we tell them we, we, we put their name forward for the academy and then the academy director will contact them you know ask ask them for some material it can be a video it can be a letter 
and then decides whether whether to accept them or not. So in order to get on the academy, there's different ways, of course. You can be put forward by your federation, you can excel at a tournament and be pre-selected, or you can just apply online and be selected. You know? So that's the, that's the way the two Aussies got, got into it. And hopefully they will accept the invitation to come next year when the academy resumes, because it would be really good, both for us to have two Australian guys on the academy, and, and I believe for, for them to live this experience and learn as much as possible. So, so where do you see the academy going? What's what's the goal in, in five, ten years? What's your ideal situation? Are you familiar with Wafer Core? I know about it. That's it. Wafer Core is a program run by Wafer that is aimed at people that are already at national level in their own federation in the second or third division to become the FIFA referees of the future. That's the aim. So all the referees that go to core are already referees that have already reached the national level, the professional refereeing environment, and then are just making that last step. We are trying to replicate what core does, but for uh, the referees that need to jump from the regional level to the national level. So we don't have the means of wave, of course, but thanks to the help of uh, a lot of experienced professionals, we are succeeding in, in making this. So a couple of referees that have, have been to the first editions of the academy are now at the top level in their own countries. So I believe it, it is working for uh, pretty well. And it is also a way for us, this is, I'm talking more from a personal point of view, not from referee broad point of view, but it is a way for me, for, for referee broad to give back to the refereeing community because the refereeing community has given me a lot. If you told me, 10 years ago that I would be running what is probably the biggest refereeing network, international refereeing network in the world, that I, I would be working 24-7 for referees and with referees, I would not have believed you. But it worked this way. So refereeing gave me a lot and I want to give back. And how can I give back? By giving younger referees the opportunity of, of becoming better match officials and the academy is part of this. That's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, that, no, that's great. I think that's really good that you're looking to give back to the game like that, Danny. I think that's that's fantastic. And it's it is always nice to hear people talk about that. You know, they talk about how the game has given them so much and it's important to give back. And I think it's something I need to make sure I keep on remembering all the time. I notice it's very common when you get to a certain stage of your career, like I felt the same. I feel the same now. And I have to say, Jack, you sort of pulled me into it when uh when I stopped refereeing and I have to say, if it wasn't for Jack, I probably wouldn't have gone back into coaching. Really? Yeah, you, it's, you it's, gave me a massive spree. I, this is a funny story. <laughs> I was like, I stopped refereeing and I wasn't sure if I wanted to still be involved. And I remember we were having, we were having dinner at La Roche, mm. one of our favorite. And I remember Jack looking at me and going like, you got so much experience that it would be a waste to lose you. Just stick around. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll try. That was probably, what, three years ago? Yeah, and I remember we slowly got you back involved at the branch and then you yeah. started getting back into assessing through the state leagues and obviously very quickly then reached where you have now, which is the second division in Australia. So, Daniel, if any of our ref coach members or anybody in the wider refereeing community want to get involved with referee abroad and they like what they've heard you talking about, how can they do that? So they can contact us in different ways. The website is refereeabroad.com and they can find a list of tournaments, the details about each single tournament, and, and they can apply, create a profile and then apply. If they have any questions, they can send us a message. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Referee Broad. We also have Instagram, 
so they can contact us on Referebro on Instagram. If they want to contact me directly, they can find me on Facebook, Daniel Kurcho. Contact us through our official channels, Referebro, or even contact me personally, it's not a problem. And for all of you who are listening, you can find the link to refereeabroad.com in the description of this podcast or on the homepage of refcoach.org. Or if you're in the group, you can find this post and you'll get all the contacts in the post. Thank you very much for coming on and joining us on My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. Thank you very much, Daniel, for telling us all about Referee Abroad. It's been great to hear about all the wonderful things you guys are doing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you, Daniel. Really appreciate thank you. your thank time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And, and thank you for being a part of refereeing and helping all these grassroots referees to, yeah. to get better. And I mean, even just the ability to travel and referee abroad, it's like a dream. You know, you get on a plane going in another country. It's definitely an experience that whoever has the luck to live here, you can't match it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's accessible for anyone at all abilities, as Daniel was saying. You don't have to be a referee striving to get to FIFA, to the World Cup, to have this international experience and to learn a lot and get a lot from the experience. What Benji said uh, sums it up very well. So thanks, thanks for that. Amazing. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much, Daniel. Well, this is the ending. Yeah, recording is done. Okay, Um, good. Awesome. So now now you want to hear about the red cards. Yeah, tell us about it.